0: Welcome to Let's Drive SA's motoring podcast. In episode four, it's all about the Lamborghini, the Huracan Evo 640 and the Urus. We also chat to Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa navigator Brett Cummins. And as always, it's the Let's Drive top five. Are you ready? Let's drive. Welcome to another episode of Let's Drive, your favourite motoring podcast in South Africa and beyond the lockdown. It's almost over. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I can tell you what, two men who are, uh, who are extremely grateful to uh, see this thing come to an end, near an end, are my esteemed co-hosts, Voldu van der Val and Hannes Fisser. Good uh, morning, gents. Voldu, Hannes, how are you doing? Voldu, let's start with you.
1: Ah, Derek, when you said esteemed, I think you should have said extinguished because (laughs) at the moment there's not much driving going on and I'm finding out very quickly that Gauteng is a much smaller place than I thought. Um, This this not crossing provincial borders thing is really driving me insane. But anyway, be that as it may, we're all surviving and cracking on and at least we are back at work. So it could be worse.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I get cabin fever at the best of times, but uh, I don't think I suffer nearly as much as the two of you Uh, Hannes, uh, you spent a lot of the time down at the coast. You're back up in Khaateng in Pretoria. Uh, How's it been for you these last couple of weeks?
2: I am back indeed and uh, at least back at home and everything is familiar to me and I I can bry on my stoop and do what I want, but I can't really do what I want because life is not the same, you know, so... uh, being stuck at home is one thing. Like Valda said, not being able to cross borders is, is, a, is a huge thing for us. I mean, we're the type of people that uh, on a weekly basis, you know, used to travel to either Salby and Malonga, or wherever or Clarence or somewhere. You know, we're not used to, uh, to being at home for longer than a week at a time. So it's really, uh, it's, I'm struggling from that point of view as well.
0: Valdi, you said that you have been able to work a little bit and we've spoken about it often on the show. Uh, apart from being motoring journalists, the two of you host the, the very well-known motoring TV show, Latville. So you've been able to get on, uh, onto the road, albeit uh, not as much as, as you'd like.
1: No, not nearly as much as we'd like. But, you know, we've also got to respect the the rule of law and, and you know take care with the, with the virus because it is a serious situation and we've got to take it seriously. So, you know, as much as we would like to get out there and do more, we, we also understand that this is the way that things are at the moment. So we we comply as much as we can and we work to the letter of the law and, and we do what we can. But it certainly isn't enough to satisfy the, the wanderlust, that's for sure.
0: Valdi, you and I were trying to work out how many bribes Hannes Fusser has had in his lifetime. I, I can imagine it's up the ante. Hannes, uh, being on lockdown, uh, it's afforded you plenty of opportunities to bry even more. What was that original number we, we came up with uh, I- in terms of brying in your lifetime?
2: I don't know what number you came up with, but I can tell you what the lo- what I did the last 21 days since I've been back uh, from the coast. Um, a- average of about one and a half brys a day. So some days I've had two and, and, and at least one a day. So for the last 21 days, I probably had about 25
0: or 27. I was going to say, I'm glad you said uh, over the course of 20 I was trying to work out what, what constitutes half a braai. Well, just
2: averages. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <if> You
0: divide <laughs> them into the days. Okay, well, uh, yeah, welcome back to the show, everyone, and uh, to my two guests. And, yeah, as mentioned, we can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So let's hold thumbs that uh, it does end soon. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, So, this episode is about one car and one car only, well, one brand. And uh, it was about two weeks ago where I got a WhatsApp from Voldu and Hannes. So, we've got a group chat, chat pretty much every day about all sorts of things, mostly cars and and other rubbish. And Hannes and Voldu gave me the news, uh, what they were about to take on for that entire day. And and you couldn't have got a more jealous person than, than myself. And also a friend of ours, Ray, who's also on the group. But uh, the two men that were living the dream, especially during lockdown, were Hannes and Voldu. Hannes, uh, talk us through a little bit of of how that day kicked off.
2: Well, it kicked off with a meeting with the uh, PR people from Lamborghini uh, at the flagship Johannesburg dealership in Melrose Arch. Uh, We started there about six in the morning. It was still dark. The lights were on inside, and inside were, um, there were two cars parked there, Lamborghini Huracan Evo, the latest one, as well as the um, Lamborghini Urus uh, SUV. And we could see them from outside the window, and then we were forced to put up, uh, to put on our face masks to go inside. We climbed into the two cars and drove off with masks over our faces in, in a combined value of 9 million rands worth of cars, and we <laughs> found that like, we stole them.
0: Oh man, what is it feeling like, Voldu? climbing into a brand new Lamborghini um, off the floor uh, where everyone else has to be locked up, confined into their houses. Very few people out on the road. Firstly, you're able to get out onto the road. Secondly, you're able to do so. And it almost, saying a call almost does it a, a disservice. It's getting out into the road in this magnificent machine.
1: Oh, it it truly is magnificent machines, or are both of them. The thing is, Derek, that regardless of the situation surrounding the quiet roads and being able to get out and cabin fever, the reality is that getting into something as special as a Lamborghini is always an experience. Um, regardless of what's going on around you. You know, you get into the cabin and it feels alien because it's, you know, after all these years, Hannes and I have gotten used to driving just about anything. You get mm-hmm. into a car, you can close your eyes and say, this is a BMW or this is a VW or this is a Toyota or whatever. You just know them by touch and you know how things work. You get into a Lamborghini, which is so exclusive that you have to orient yourself a little bit and just figure out how things work and where things are and the smells are different. And and certainly the the look and feel of everything, it's just, It's such an overwhelming experience when you first get into one of those.
0: And, Hannes, it goes without saying, the storied history when it comes to Lamborghini. And, I mean, we were speaking off air. You know, it it wasn't always the case for for Lamborghini when when it came with this magnificent reputation.
2: No, no, no. Lamborghini's got a very colourful history. Ferruccio Lamborghini in his day actually built tractors to start off with. And then um, he decided to... To turn his tractors, well, not turn them into sports cars, but then he started to build proper, proper sports cars. But they were rough, you know, they were, they were very beautiful to look at, but they weren't sophisticated at all, and they broke down all the time, up, up <laughs> to uh, Diablo's about 15, 20 years ago. I had the pleasure of driving a Diablo for Ludwig, and it broke down twice in one day 10 years ago. So, um, and then, of course, the Germans took it over and they really refined Lamborghini. So today we sit with modern, high quality sports cars that still look the part and uh, that's a fantastic combination but it's true what i said about you have to um just familiarize, familiarize yourself with the interior um the U.S. and the hurricane very very different inside uh you know they, they it's hard to say that they're both lamborghinis because they differ so much but i found myself looking for the gear lever in the lamborghini and and, and the, well it's automatic obviously in the hurricane and um, it only had a newton on the reverse, I couldn't find drive, and they had to come and help me and say all I have to do is uh, pull on the, on, the, on, on the lever behind the steering wheel that selects the gear. So it took me about 10 seconds to get going.
0: Uh, I've got to sit back though, when you said you, you first took out uh, the Diablo when you are doing it for Latville and it broke down twice in the course of a day, what exactly happened and uh, yeah, how did you get out of the mess?
2: Well, I, I was driving in the, uh, around Swartkop's at the time, and in the fast sweep, I think it's called Turn 4 or 5 at Swarkops, um I just lost control and the car spun out. And then when we got <laughs> out, it dumped uh, 12 litres of oil through its sump onto the left rear wheel. <laughs> we had to get a flatbed to recover the car and take it back to its owner. It wasn't pleasant. Well,
0: well, well thankfully, you didn't have any issues this time around. Uh, geez, uh, uh, Valdi Fersi, uh, what, what did you get to drive and, and how was uh, initial um, what was the initial reaction?
1: Um, Derek, I was in the Uros um, most of the day. I did get a little spin in the Huracan, but, but Hannes and I split the two, and I was in the, in the taller car of the two. Um, initial reaction was, was you know, quite a bit clenchy, actually, um, of the cheeks, because you know, they gave us the keys and said drive safely, but the cars were still parked on the showroom floor. So the step one is to move a three and a half million rand car through the narrow doors of the, <laughs> of the dealership. Uh, and you don't want to get that wrong in the first two meters, you know. So anyway, after that, you know, just getting out on the road, adjusting the seats, the mirrors and everything, getting everything ready. Quite an experience. Um, and I didn't dare boot it until the engine had warmed up nicely and so on. But maybe maybe I should tell you about that just a little bit later. Believe me, it was quite an experience.
0: And your initial experience uh, getting into the hurricane and, uh, and driving off, uh, Hannes, were you also a little nervous getting out those doors?
2: Yeah, because it's so low to the ground that you can't really see all that much. You know, it's a sports car. It's not a practical thing. So you have to uh, make sure that you familiarize yourself with the environment before you before you go. And, um, yeah, like Waldo said, you take a bit of time just to adjust the seat and get everything ready, and then off we went. And uh, from that moment on, it was all about the sound and the gearbox. And, the, sure, even at slow speed, the sound, you know, it's got a mode where you can choose between – between normal driving and sport, and then it, it, it's got a setting for Corsa, which, of course, is racetrack. And it didn't take me long to find the Corsa button, <laughs> and I drove it on Corsa for the rest of the day because it just wakens the car up. Every, every noise, every gear change, everything is more, it's more racy, more
0: sporty. Uh, I mean, for, for every, the, every man sitting at home, and, and every woman... I mean, it's, it's very few people get to experience what you gents did over the course of that day. And, and you speak about the sights, the sounds, the smell. I mean, elaborate a bit more. I mean, getting into it, you said you've, you've experienced pretty much everything there is to experience when it comes to cars. But try and paint a picture for us, uh, Hannes, uh, just, just sitting inside that, albeit fairly uncomfortably, because you're not the smallest of fellows, and as you said, as a sports car, it isn't meant to be. It isn't prime for comfort. But uh, everything else, uh cheese, it just absolutely explodes in terms of sensation.
2: Yeah, I do we often joke and say that at our age we prefer cars that you mm-hmm. must climb into and fall out of. You know, that's easier and more convenient than the ones you have to fall into and climb
1: out
2: of. <laughs> but for something like our hurricane, I'm more than willing to make that exception. Um no, it it, it literally, you know, it's you fall into the thing and you literally just a few inches off the ground. But then the car sort of it, it, it sort of forms around you and you become one with it and the feeling of the steering wheel in your hands and just the, your feet on the pedal anything becomes one i don't know how to describe it you become one being with the thing and then um of course after that if you get onto the open node and you start mailing it a little bit whatever it just responds and that's what a sports car is supposed to do it responds to every single little input so much better than a normal car you know it happens instantly whatever you want the car to do it does and in a Lamborghini, it does it so, so well that you feel like you're a Formula One driver. And then, of course, that sound and just going through the gears and the acceleration, whatever. I'm not going to say how fast we took it on the day, um, but it accelerates really, really fast. Not to 100 in under three seconds, I think, it's 2.8 or something like that. I mean, uh, two and a half, 2.8, three seconds, you don't feel the difference. Anything under three is exceptionally fast. That's super car quick. Oh,
0: not no to 100 in, in three seconds. And, and that's where you stayed, obviously, at 100.
2: Well, I went to 129.
0: Okay, that's oh, okay, cool. <laughs> A little over the <laughs> limit, but uh, good, good boy. Talk us through your route in, in Gateng. Uh, d- did you get to be able to experience it to its max capabilities with uh, regards to the terrain that, that you drove on?
2: Well, it's always limiting shooting in Gateng because, number one, Gateng is not the prettiest place or so doesn't give the prettiest backdrops, especially in winter, which is now coming up. So it's always... Uh, you know, there's not many colours or nice backgrounds. We would have preferred to take the cars to, to Pumalanga maybe or or somewhere where it's open and so on. But we did find a private piece of road that we did cordon off and we did, we, we, we did um, enjoy the car to its fullest, yes.
0: Oh, jeez, I'm sure you did. Uh, the interior, I'm looking through images, and, and you guys did send me a few as well. Not too many of the, the interior. I saw plenty of the outside, which, of course, is, is absolutely stunning. But um, having a look through the web and uh, highly impressed with the interior. I think they've certainly jazzed it up a bit over the years.
2: They absolutely yeah. have, and that's the German influence. Um, sorry for the for Mr. Lamborghini, <laughs> but the Germans refined uh, the uh, the Lamborghini brand, and that's why you now have a, a modern, ultra luxurious, and reliable sports car in the form of, of the that Yeah,
0: Yeah, certainly is modern, but from a technical point of view, I mean, all the, 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 the glitzy gadgets seem to be there too.
2: It's got everything, you know, it's got either the, the airplane type switches to, to switch off and on the lights and the wipers and all of those things. And there are no stalks behind the steering wheel, which I initially found a little strange. Um, the indicator is on a button on the left-hand side of the steering wheel, but it's a small little button, almost like a motorbike, that you have to press to the left or right to put the indicator on. And that's the only thing that I didn't like about the interior. The rest
1: is all spot on.
0: There, there are no uh, stalks behind the steering wheel, but there's a driving gear behind the steering wheel.
2: Well, yeah, it's a big
0: battle for the, to, to switch up gears. Yeah. Um, okay, Voldu, let's uh, move over to you quick. Uh, of course, we're staying with Lamborghini. You got to sample that uh, that Urus, and uh, you know, what were your impressions? You said you, you'd get into it a, a little later. Now's the time. Tell us more.
1: Well, well Derek, you know it's difficult to fathom, but the Urus has even more power than the Huracan. Um, it look, it weighs it quite a bit more as well. It's a 2.2-ton vehicle. So, you know, it needs a little bit more grunt, but then it gets from zero to 100 in about 3.6 seconds. If you think about a 2.2-ton car, car accelerating that fast, it is simply astounding. Um, and the, the soundtrack that goes with it is simply astounding too. Um, it's, it varies a little bit from the Huracan in terms of the running gear. It's built on a different platform, and we'll get into that shortly. But you know, it's got it's got a, a twin turbo engine, which is the first time that uh, Lamborghini has actually gone to a, a twin turbo option. Um, some people will recognize the engine is similar to the one that's used in something like the Porsche Cayenne um, Turbo. Uh, and while the engine uses the same block, it's got completely reworked cylinder heads and so on. And it actually produces 100 kilowatts, no, 100 horsepower, 76 kilowatts more than the Porsche Cayenne Turbo does. So that's a hell of a lot of power. And to have that under your command is such a great feeling. Um, and the soundtrack to me tops everything. I have to admit that the soundtrack in the hurricane is probably just a little bit better. But in an SUV, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. And I enjoyed absolutely every moment. You, you can't begin to explain how quickly this thing picks up speed. It really is just astounding.
0: Uh, did uh, you also experience a, a similar level of uh, speed that, that, that Hannes enjoyed uh, in terms of uh, getting to the top speed? And, and did you stay there as well on, on the limiter a little bit more?
1: No, You know, to me, the biggest thing with a car was to see how it handled. Um, the Huracan is all about speed. The Uros, to me, was more about a 2.2 ton Lamborghini. Does it still handle like a Lamborghini? So we found a little bit of an S-Bend on a on a private piece of road that was blocked off. And um, I got to throw it around there quite a bit. And, and I can happily report that it handles like a scalpel. It's just unbelievable. Well, saying that, the first time I went into the Bend, I did turn off all the safety systems, thinking it's a four-wheel drive. And I went in a little bit quicker than I probably should have. And I, and I had a, a experienced another clenching moment, um, as all four wheels lost a bit of traction and, and, and it was a bit of a fight to regain control over three and a half million rand Lamborghini. Um, after that, I did tone it back a little bit, but it certainly still, it certainly still handles exactly the way that you would expect, um, if not better. We all know. Of
2: you, you admitted that you were quite <laughs> spirited that <didn't>
1: morning. <you? laughs> <laughs> I was more than a bit spirited. I simply couldn't believe that a car like that, that big, that tall, could actually handle. Uh, to me, it instilled more confidence than many of the other sports cars I've driven in my life. Lower and flatter sports cars. I, it really felt with a with a Uros like you can, could throw it around. Um, I, I think maybe the fact that it wasn't my car helped a little bit with that confidence. But then I know Mr. Feinter and Mr. Kruger at Lamborghini quite well. And I don't think it would have been wise to stick it into the scenery either.
0: <laughs> now, I mean, we all know how the, the need and the trend in SUVs has exploded over, over the last decade. Uh, seems everyone has one. And uh, I, I can imagine a lot of people who are Lamborghini uh, historians and, and absolute addicts would be saying, why convert it into an SUV? Um, Is there a need for it? And I mean, clearly, by by your experience, you said it doesn't really matter. The the fact is you you enjoyed it immensely.
1: Well, the thing is that not many people realize it, but this is not actually Lamborghini's first foray into into the sort of leisure um, four-wheel drive area. They actually built a vehicle called the LN002, Many, many, many years ago. Um, It was built between 1986 and 1993 or four, if I remember correctly. They only built about 330 odd of these um, very, very ugly uh, pickup trucks uh, that was powered by the same V12 that you got in the uh, Lamborghini Countach. Um, So, you know, it's not entirely new territory for them. But I think the best is to just forget about the LMW2. It was ugly and
0: unsuccessful. It, it, it's talking cheese is- between those two. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. not, not about uh, far-removed cousins. I mean, we're not, we, we're not even talking about the same, in the ball, yeah. same ballpark.
1: <laughs> but that brings us on to the modern cousins, because the reality is that Lamborghini now belongs to the VW Group. And the VW Group has the MLB platform. It's a, a German uh, abbreviation. It stands for um, Modularer Langsbach. Aston, I think, something like that. I don't think I did that very well. Anyway, it's a, a modular longitudinal matrix in English. And really like we spoke about in previous episodes, it's just the technological, technological platform that underpins these cars. Um, so as a result, the UROS is built on the same technological platform as vehicles like the VW Touareg and the um, Bentley Bentayga, the Audi Q7, and, um, and of course the Porsche Cayenne that we spoke about earlier. Um, so it makes sense to bring the, the cousin into the family as well, you know, for Lamborghini. Mm. If you look at what the Porsche Cayenne did for the futures of Porsche, um, it absolutely makes sense to to sort of refocus a little bit and bring a, a sports SUV or then a super SUV into the family as
0: well. Yeah, it really is a beautiful looking car. And I mean, moving many, many, many miles away from that LM002, I mean, it, it, as mentioned, it's chalk and cheese, but yeah, it, it looks stunning from the outside.
1: It's just gorgeous to look at. And the nice thing is that it goes the way that you'd expect. It handles the way you expect. And now you can take four friends with you. Um, You can go five up in it if you have to. I'd say four is really the the magic number for it. Um, And then it's still got space for luggage and so on. It really is a practical supercar.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, price-wise, of course, uh, you're looking at a very, very niche market when you're looking at your buyers here, Voldu.
1: Yeah, it's certainly not a car that's open to everyone. Um, but then very few of the vehicles built on the MLB platform mm-hmm. is, actually, if you think about it. Um, I think the, the cheapest of them is probably the Touareg. And, and then it just goes northward from there uh, until you get to Uros and Bentayga territory, which is quite a lot of money, three and a half million rand for a, for a sporty SUV. On the flip side, you get something that you can't get anywhere else. The Uros simply has no competition at the moment. There's nothing that comes even close to it. Even its uh, sporty cousin, the Cayenne Turbo, simply blown away by the performance of this Lambo. So, you know, you're, you're in a different league with this vehicle. Um, and the other thing is that cars like that tend to hold their value quite well. So, you know, you could spend a lot less and buy a Toyota Fortuner. Well, mm. those will also hold their value. But, you know, the, the Lamborghini is a special vehicle and it's something that, that will hold its value quite well, I think.
0: And you say nothing comes close to this. I mean, are you talking about across the board? There's nothing where you thought, hmm, I'd probably enjoy this part of the car more if I was sitting in that Cayenne. Or is this top the pops in every single sphere?
1: No, to me, there is absolutely nothing that comes close to it. I mean, I would love to drive a Porsche Cayenne Turbo every day of my life. And it's only one second slower out of the blocks. But then it's not quite a Lamborghini, is it?
0: Nah, it's not. And uh, I could
1: just tip
2: in here on, on, on that note to, uh, to confirm what Waldo is saying. Chip in with it, everything. It, it really is a Lamborghini. I mean, it's an it's a SUV, but now you can share Lamborghini sports car feeling and handling. With the family, and that's something that's never, no one's ever been able to do. I mean, you get other sporty SUVs like the Maserati and so on, and like uh, you know, the Porsche Cayenne is probably one of the best, if not the best, all rounder out there. But this is a Lamborghini, and it's and it's an SUV. I mean, it's just two words you've never been able to put in the same sentence, and now you really, really can, because it is literally the best of both worlds.
0: Well, well, you could have shared the LM02 at the family. No, you could, but the family wouldn't get into it. No, that's the problem. <laughs> um, it was very, very ugly. Uh, no, it's it's a hideous looking car, no offence to Lamborghini, but uh, yeah, they certainly have upped their game a lot uh, over the, the preceding years. But um, yeah, uh, Hannes, uh, uh, going back to you at the Hurricane. I mean, yeah, we keep on singing the car's praises and, and rightly so. I mean, it's hard to fault anything. I, I certainly can't just by looking at it. And uh, by the signs of things, by driving it, uh, it, it just gets even better.
2: Well, these are those type of cars, they halo cars. I mean, they, they they cost five and a half million rand for a reason. You know, you get what you pay for. And the Hurricane is that it's actually difficult to believe that the Hurricane is Lamborghini's entry level sports car at the moment. Uh, well, as everyone knows, um, in the past they had the Gallardo as the entry level sports car, and the Murcielago was the top one. And now it's the Hurricane as the entry level. Um, and then uh, the Aventador, of course, is the, uh, the, the the flagship sports car. But anyway, the
0: Hurricane Evo
2: has got a few um, evolution. Like they added a few bits and pieces to it and gave it more power. So, yeah, the name 640, of course, refers to uh, horsepower, and that's 470 kilowatts. And for uh, all those, Eurus um, has got 478 kilowatts from the from the twin turbo. But this 470 kilowatts in the Hurricane is, of course, uh, from a 5.2 liter V10. Nat- naturally aspirated. So uh, that in itself
1: is just pure, pure sports car Even oh, hey, Derek, can I just pop in here quickly? Because, you know, the numbers are, are very similar between the two cars, even though the Urus has slightly more. The reality is that we're looking at a cars that have between, you know, close to 500 kilowatts. Yeah, 500 kilowatts. Just think about that for a little bit. You know, that is 300 kilowatts more than a Golf GTI, <laughs> which is by all means, seen as a fairly rapid hot hatch. That's 300 kilowatts watts, almost three times the, the power of, of one of those cars. It makes a BMW M3 look fairly pedestrian in terms of power output. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that people often fixate on zero to 100 times. And those are important. Once you get under three seconds, you're in, in hypercar territory. You're going pretty fast. But the, the, the way you really feel it is when you go from 150 to 200 mm-hmm. or from 200 to 250. That's where the, the depth of power really comes to the fore. And, and certainly the little squirt that I had with the hurricane, um, you know, had my cheeks going backwards and, and in, in a, in a wide smile the whole time until I hit the brakes. And just the sheer depth of power, it really does feel like it's connected to the horizon with a very long piece of elastic.
2: Oh. Derek, it's all about power to weight. So the, the, the Urus has got um, 478 kilowatts, but like Waldo said, it's 2.2 tons, which is exceptional for, a, for an SUV. But now, to put it into sports car terms, the 470 kilowatts in the Huracan, um, that weighs only 1.4 tons, which means it's around 330 kilowatts per tonne. And that is where you get your supercar performance from. Mm. Just to put it all in perspective, I think a Formula One car nowadays has got about 600 kilowatts. These things have got 470. <laughs> so not that far <laughs> off. Okay, they're a little bit heavier, but, <laughs> but that puts it into perspective. I mean, you can uh, you can drive it every day.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly does. And- I mean, we heard Voldu's take on on the Urus, uh, pretty much faultless. Anything that you could find fault with uh, regards to what you were driving, the hurricane?
2: Uh Just that it's not parked in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we man. had to give it back, and this is where the story got really weird. We uh, Unlike car thieves, we, we we put our masks back on and and, and returned the cars on the same day. Unfortunately, that was quite weird. But yeah, no, it's 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 those kind of things, Derek, that you want. You, you know, as little boys, we had posters of these things on our walls mm. because they were Kuntash's and diablos back then. And uh, if I was a little boy now, then these would be the. The Cars that you'd have a poster of on your wall,
0: that's what they are like. And I, I suppose one of the, the biggest disappointments being able to drive these things during lockdown, and that you could well, it's, it's a benefit in one, in that, of course, the roads are, are far more open. But the other thing is that there aren't many people around to, to, to look, and, and, and you can't sit there with this massive smile on your face as the public look on envious.
1: Yeah, these are the extreme Boulevard cruisers. Um, in addition to their power capabilities, you, know, you want to be seen in them. mean um, it was quite sad not to be seen. But we're hoping to at least um, show it to all the viewers on the television show. So, you know, there's a little bit of, of um, a solace in that, at least. Um, but but it's not the same. It's not quite the same. Oh, I really can't yeah, wait. When you, go to the,
2: you, when you go to the Lamborghini dealership, they've got all the different options and colors and trims and whatever that you can choose for your car, and the, the different um, trim leather and colors and all of that. And I can just imagine what a fantastic feeling it must be to be able to walk in there, order your car, and then go through the whole process of, of, of picking all the trims and colors and, and spec levels that you want to suit you. I mean, I, I, that must be one of the most amazing motoring experiences available to man.
0: And uh, just finally, going on uh, regarding the storied history of, of Lamborghini, uh, I, I love the naming convention when it comes to Lamborghinis.
2: So, Mr. Ferruccio Lamborghini obviously had a thing for Spanish bullfighting because just about every single Lamborghini or model, or whatever that was ever made, um, has got a connection to Spanish bullfighting. So, given an idea, the name Diablo uh, was apparently a vicious fighting bull from ni- uh, eighteen sixty nine. Murcielago was uh, also a, a fighting bull from 1879. Apparently, his life was spared. And uh, Gallardo, for instance, is the name of an entire bull race. Not only one bull, but a whole a whole race of them. And uh, Aventador is a well-known fighting bull that fought as recently as 1993. So, yeah, um, all of them have got a strong connection to... Uh, to, to fighting bulls. Y- Even Yudis, Yudis is, Yudis yeah. is, a, is is the ancestor of the modern cattle as we know it today.
0: Yeah, so, I was going to say, you've got all these fighting bulls, Volder, and then you've got uh, the ancestor of some cattle.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit of a letdown in terms of the name, but believe me, it makes up for it everywhere else. Eh? If that's cattle class, I'm happy to go cattle class. <laughs> uh, your uh, highlight? Who mine. yeah. The everything. Absolutely bloody everything. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think probably the, the little button that lets you choose the drive mode and flipping that thing from Strada, which is normal highway, into Corsa, which is race, and everything tightens up, tenses, the gearbox changes, everything. So my highlight would be flipping that little switch.
0: Uh, low light, should I even ask? Nothing.
1: Yeah, well, there's an obvious low light. You had to give it back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, did, and again, your your let's drive out of five. I, I can pretty much predict what this is going to be too.
1: Well, you're wrong. eh? It's probably a
0: six. <laughs> yeah, no, I did predict that. I, I won't lie. Uh, <laughs> Hannes, highlight.
2: Um, every time you 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 change gears with your foot flat, just the way that it that it hooks that next gear and pushes you back in the seat, that whole feeling of, of of power and and Oh, God. <laughs> putting your foot down and changing gears
0: oh, I'm not going to ask you Lola we've already established that and and score you're going to go with Voldo a maximum over the ropes no, you, can't, you can't otherwise I
2: mean this is the pinnacle of, of, of sports cars I mean
0: <laughs> oh beautiful the land of Lamborghini thanks Jens that was the Hurricane and uh, the Urus live in the moment till I die now moving on to Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. This is a man who's done exceptionally well in the racing world and it wasn't too long ago where he was asked to navigate. It's uh, It was unfamiliar territory to him because uh, he's been known to be a, a superstar when it comes to two wheels and four wheels to, to an extent. Um, but Brett Cummins on the line, welcome to the show. Uh, how was it taking to the navigator's seat uh, over the course of uh, your m- more recent career.
3: How's it, guys? Uh, yeah, um, it was definitely a, a shell shock. Uh, um, it, it, it was definitely different to, to what we were used to, being on the bike and um, navigating for yourself. Um, you're going at uh, breakneck speeds with um, a guy like Henk in the driver's seat, and uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a culture shock.
0: Yeah, so, so talk us through how this came about. Uh, you mentioned Hank. we talk about Hank Latakhan, uh, the very established driver for Toyota Zoo Racing South Africa in the cross-country series, and yeah, I mean, was it something that you didn't expect whatsoever when you got that call from Glenn Hall, team principal of Toyota Zoo Racing, you say?
3: Yeah, I was actually rather surprised. It was last year, I think it was around about February, when I got a missed call from from uh, Glenn, and uh yeah, it's uh I thought he he might have dialed me dialed me by mistake when he when he did call and then I called him back. Um and yeah, that's that's when he said, um, you know, there's this opportunity. Uh would I be keen? I said, Yeah, I'm 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 keen. I just wanna maybe set up a session, meet up with Hank and uh obviously meet up with him to see what the expectations are. And uh as as it would be, the expectations are not, nothing less than uh Going out to win, so uh, yeah, it was a uh, yeah. You, you can't even explain the the extremity of that that excitement that came through.
2: Gary, can I just jump in here and just say that that call was not a mistake at all. It was a very carefully planned call made by Glen Hall, who knows his motorsport. And um, Brett is a very uh, reserved person and and, and modest and down to earth. I think Brett, it, I, I don't expect you to uh, blow steam up your own backside, but Please tell the people exactly what your Dakar
0: experience is, because I don't think everyone knows. B- before he does, before he does, I, I want to just l- go back. I-, I think it was 2014, hey Valdu, when when we covered a-, a-, a Dakar and and Brett was competing it, yeah. in-, in the in the Malimoto category. And I mean, Glenn Hall has been a fan of yours, Brett, for many many years. And and Valdu will never forget coming back to SA. And immediately the team held a press conference regarding their performance at, uh, at Dakar over in South America. And out of character, Glenn actually singled out Brett and his performance in Malimoto, which had nothing to do with what the press conference was about. I mean, that's a highly rated this man.
1: I think a big part of that and sorry Brett if I t- talk um, behind your back a little bit as if though so you're not here but the, the reality is that we saw Brett every day coming into the bivouac uh, during that Dakar um we got in a little bit behind him because the bikes were on the road earlier and by the time we got in Derek you and I uh, together with our colleagues Brett was already showered cleaned his bike was serviced everything was ready for the next day and this is like halfway through the day, when when most of the other riders taking part in in what was then Molly Moto, were still struggling to get back to the bivouac. And and Brett just always seemed absolutely composed. He'd come out and chat with everyone. Um, and I think that made a, a hell of a good impression on on Glenn and all of us, really. You um, see someone that can take on something that tough and, and manage himself to the degree where... Where he's completely in control throughout. And that also brings me a little bit to what you said earlier, because, you know, Brett might have moved into the navigator seat now, but on a bike, there is no navigator. You have mm. to do all of that yourself. So it's not like there was no navigating experience. There was a hell of a lot. Mm. Uh, it was just a, a different type of navigating at that stage.
0: So, Brett, after hearing other guys speak about you, let's uh, hear from you. Uh, tell us about the <laughs> Dakar experience and how well you did it and how you, um, yeah, how you managed to come to terms with. As Voldu mentioned, looked as if it was just a, another day in the sun for you. Each and every day, a smile on your face, very relaxed, fresh, and ready for the next day's competition.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's it's actually it's a story that can be told over, over a couple of years. But um, <laughs> it's it's kind of one of those situations where I got to the point um Shortly before the the, the deck off started, where I realized I wasn't going to have enough I, I I got hold of the guys and asked them if I could um, enter into this uh, exclusive class of the Malamoto, where you you self sufficient because I I couldn't afford to pay for any more um, expenses in in the lines of uh, backup crew, or, uh, mechanic or anything like that, and that's where I sat myself down and um, you know said to myself. I've got to go out there. I'm not going to let anything faze me. I'm not going to let, um, uh, you know, the situation get to me. And I'm just going to take it as it comes. And I think that kind of attitude sort of allowed me to not get flustered when anything went wrong and uh, just deal with the situation as best as possible.
0: Yeah, And uh, yeah, you, you dealt with it extremely well. So how, how did things finish over in Malimoto? Um, yeah, relatively
3: well. Um, I think I, I came second uh, a minute behind the, the leader um, in the Malamoto class. And I think I finished 28th overall. So, I, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better result. Um, I, I really didn't have those expectations. Um, but yeah, that, that to me was one of, one of the, the highlights of my, my racing career.
0: Yeah, and moving forward by about five or six years uh, to the South African cross-country series, you get the call to be a navigator for Hen- Henk Latakan. And h- how has that been?
3: Yeah, it's actually been good. Um, Henk is a, an extremely level-headed individual, and uh, although he's he's a young he's a young uh, expert at what he does, he he's uh, he's he's extremely you know, cool, calm, and collected, if you want to put it that way. And uh, I think that makes you know us work well together. We've got um, obviously the similar interests, and uh, you know, this the similar sort of mindset um, to make it work. And yeah, it, it's it. I couldn't have asked for a better match. I could have couldn't have asked for a better team to be part of. And uh, it's gone from strength to strength,
0: strength to strength. I think you're certainly playing it. A little bit. It couldn't have been better, uh, Hannes. No, well, <clears throat>
2: excuse me. They won uh, the South African National cross Country Championship in their first year together. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it couldn't have gone any better because they're the champions. Uh,
0: Brett, I mean, going up against the likes of Janil de Villiers and and from a man who's perfected his craft on two wheels, uh, and it must absolutely blow your mind what you've managed to achieve over the course of the last year and a bit.
3: Yeah, well, it's it's definitely been a steep learning curve. Um, I've had the likes of um, Rob Howie, who's obviously extremely well experienced, and uh, the the guidance and the coaching of Glenn himself to take me through this process. Um, and uh, it's thanks to guys like that 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 we've had the success that we've had. And uh, uh, obviously, the experience that I gained over the years of of um, navigating for myself. Uh, that's it's obviously been a bit of a challenge of now converting it um, to to the sense of having to explain it to someone else and paint that picture for them while uh, while you're doing those uh, astronomical speeds. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, ended up better than I expected.
0: You, you say. Yeah, could-
2: these bikers are extremely tough bastards if I can put it like that. I mean we <laughs> see them at Dakar every year. But also remember that bikers make very, very good Dakar competitors and cars as well. If you go back to Mr. Dakar himself, Stefan Pederhancel, so he first won it on a bike six or seven times before climbing into, uh, into the four-wheel cars, and he's won it another five or six times there, you know. So um, that's Peter Hansel for one. Cyril Dupre, who won Dakar, I think, four or five times as well on a bike. He competed the last three or four years in, in, with Peugeot and uh, won some stages along the way and was a top competitor. And, uh, of course, uh, Mark the other biking legend, who's also won five Dakars, stepped up into the navigator seat of Fernando Alonso's cars. you know very well, and mm. he's also done a very good job. So obviously... Uh, the recipe of these bikers converting to four-wheel drives um, to, to, to the four-wheel drive cars is a recipe that works and that's what glenn also and that's why brett is in that seat and he's doing a fantastic job
0: brett you speak about converting your knowledge from being on a bike and navigating for yourself uh, to having to convert to the side but the, another word convincing how, how tough is it to convince the driver to listen to every single thing that you have to say because we've heard of stories in the past between drivers and navigators where There've been uh, hair-raising arguments uh, between the two of them, where the driver simply refuses to listen. What's the relationship between you and Hank like, and and does he take to heart everything you say?
3: Um, yeah, I mean we're still learning as we're going along, and um, the, the the thing is, when you start getting a certain tone in your voice, uh, I think that that's where where Hank obviously starts picking up uh, quite well. If if we're not sort of uh, listening to one another or anything like that, um, you know. So he'll he'll sort of realize when I've got a, a sense of urgency in my voice, and I think it's important mm-hmm. to to react to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on how you you keep the situation under control. Um, and as long as you keep the situation under control, you shouldn't be getting into into that position where you you have to uh, elevate your voice levels or. or create any sense of urgency in your voice
0: and, and finally what does the, the future hold for the two of you and unfortunately you can pretty much almost write off 2020 for now given the impact of COVID-19 but uh, yeah uh, are the two of you looking to go from strength to strength as a pair and you heard Hannah salute to bikers who have moved over to four wheels and vice versa in terms of Dakar I mean could we see you in the driver's seat and in the near or or, or far future
3: Sheesh, uh, that that's something i definitely don't i don't know <laughs> and uh, I cannot comment on at this point in time, um, but you know I think the first step would be to to see if we can try and get an opportunity to go to Dakar together i think we we're a good match, and um, I think uh for now i'll stick to what i'm good at and hanks hank should stick to what he's good at
0: <laughs> oh lovely anything from uh, you two gents uh voldo and hannes that you'd like to just uh, catch from brett
1: just a quick question for brett from me um brett the first time you stepped into the hilux what was your reaction to the to the speed and the the type of terrain that you can tackle Because coming from a bike you obviously approach um routes and things completely differently um was it a big difference yeah, it, it's massive. I actually
3: had a, a short opportunity. I think it was in twenty fourteen where I, I had a, a drive in a in a Hilux, um, but it was a very short stint and it was one event. But um, obviously, driving with Hank that was uh, you know at a different level. Um, and you know, although navigating for yourself on a bike is extremely different different because you know if you're uncertain you've got the throttle in your own hand and you can tap off a little bit and just sort yeah. of reassure yourself and and reconfirm what you're doing um whereas in this situation if you if you miss a miss a call or if you're behind or um whatever the situation is uh hink's foot's in the corner and uh it doesn't <laughs> doesn't back off so you you got to get get back on track as quickly as possible but i think the important Amazing. thing with that is is obviously uh, when i am in a situation like that and that goes back to how we keep the situation under control I'll, I'll calmly sort of inform him that you know i'm just off on the road book slightly and he he knows it and he must sort of read the terrain a little bit better um you know until we get back on online excellent
1: uh, Breda, uh,
2: also- you- sorry, Brett, have you ever said to Hank T Junction, go straight"?
3: <laughs> no, but I have <laughs> on one or one or two occasions said to him, "Turn left," but you can only go right. But uh, that was a a quick error which which we quickly fixed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brett, I don't think people are able to appreciate just how tough it is being able to go through those. Uh, plethora of directions and be able to to convince the driver next to you to, to exactly follow your lead. And I mean we're talking, I mean sometimes you'd be going for periods of two, three, four kilometers where there's absolutely no change in the road book where it's just straight when suddenly yeah, you just hit with five, six, seven, eight different directions in the space of a, a couple of hundred meters.
3: Yeah, that, that makes it a little bit difficult in certain certain instances. Up in Botswana, we had, you know, I think it was 10K sections where there was no instructions on the on the road book. And, um, you know, when you go through sections where there's many instructions, you know, up to five or six instructions in within a kilometre, um, and then you go to 10K sections where there's nothing, you know, the driver starts getting uncertain and uh, unsure of the, the situation. And that's where you just sort of got to keep keep the, you know, the guy, uh, you keep him at, at, uh, at bay and sort of keep him, keep him reassured.
0: Ah, well, uh, well done. You've done an absolutely sterling job so far and uh, years to the best of the future. Just touching on, on COVID, uh, has there been much communication as when you can kind of expect to be back out on the open road?
3: Uh, no, nothing, nothing as yet. Um, you know, obviously motorsport South Africa or, uh, SACCS has been communicating of um, events that have been postponed and cancelled and what have you. So there's no indication of anything as such. Um, but I'm sure, you know, once we get to the lower levels of the lockdowns, we'll, we'll get better indication of what's happening. But for now, we'll, we'll keep ourselves uh, confined to our, um, our uh, environments that we're meant to be kept in and try and keep as fit and healthy as we can for now.
0: Old Brett, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And yeah, we hope to see you out on the road soon. So wrapping up with our Let's Drive top five. Great here from Brett Cummins. But now I want to hear from Voldu and Hannes once again. We dealt with a a pretty good SUV up front. I want to hear about uh, the top five SUVs uh, you've experienced over the course of your motoring lifetimes. Uh, Let's start with Voldu. You go first. Well,
1: that's very easy to start. It will have to be the Lamborghini Urus.
0: Okay. The shock, horror, shock.
2: Hannes? Well, it's actually an easy one. I'm going to keep it in the family. Um, Porsche
0: Cayenne. Okay. Ooh, going uh, the big guys. Okay. Moving on to number three. Voldu? Uh,
1: it has to be the Range Rover um, autobiography SVR top of the pops Range Rover version vehicle just so competent it goes anywhere and it goes like stink as well
0: Okay, so we've got the Urus the Cayenne the Range Rover SUV uh, and uh, moving to Hannes number four
2: Well, we actually spoiled for choice when it comes to quality SUVs But no uh, list will be complete without a Land Cruiser 200 that uh, can go anywhere and install and comfort.
0: Land Cruiser 200 so that's making up four Um, For number five, uh, I'm going to go back to you, Voldy, and I know that you're going to go for that LM002.
1: I am not, because it's not on the list. (laughs) Um, I am going to pop a little flyer in there and say that probably the most competent SUV that I've experienced hands-on in my own hands and harnesses has to be a Toyota Fortuner. Um, We've covered from 2014 (laughs) until 2020, that car's in them. We've driven on dunes, rocks, in riverbeds, mountain passes, almost got killed, survived. It just is as good as it gets for a car that most people can afford.
0: Yeah, I'm going to jump in there too because if I was afforded a pick, I would have taken that one too. So yeah, that wraps it up. Urus, Cayenne, Range Rover, Land Cruiser 200, Toyota Fortuna. And that wraps up the show. Thanks for joining us on Let's Drive. We'll see you soon. Cheers.